This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Life Saving Systems Corporation, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. And Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut, bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. Our next guest is a volunteer rescueman, or should I say, rescue woman. And fact of the matter is, she brings some amazing stories from how she even got into rescue all the way until now. And to make it even better, her and one of her girlfriends started creating the Women in Rescue Instagram and Facebook page. So they are trying to involve this around the world with the women that are in rescue. And I'm super stoked to have her. So please welcome my friend, Miss Aspen Wilkes. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen,
and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast. Today, oh, I'm so totally pumped. Um, I've got with me an amazing lady, and she is gone. She's doing some great things in the rescue world. I am totally pumped to like share her stories with you guys. So without further ado, Miss Aspen Wilkes. What's up, Miss Aspen? How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, heck yeah. Are you kidding me? So Aspen, you are from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you are the co-founder of Women in Rescue. That's pretty friggin' awesome is what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's been really great so far. We're really excited to be creating this community. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Now, I, it's kind of funny because I actually found you guys in on Instagram randomly. Um, something popped up and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And now I'm following you guys. And so your co-founder partner is Cassie. Aguirre. One more yes. time. Aguirre. Yeah, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Aguirre. Was that good? Cassie yeah, Aguirre. <laughs> All right. I'm good with that. So you and Cassie started this Women in Rescue. This is, this is pretty awesome. Um, but before I go too far into that, if you don't mind, please introduce yourself to everybody and a little bit of background history about you and how you got into search and rescue. Yeah, so I have been part of the rescue world for seven years. I joined Albuquerque Mound Rescue in 2014, and we're a team that's based out of New Mexico, and we're a Mound Rescue Association accredited team, and we specialize in high-angle technical rescue for the entire Albuquerque metro area. And one of the interesting things about New Mexico is that we're so rural that we actually get page outs from our IC, our entire IC structure is based statewide rather than regionally. So we get page out all over the state at a moment's notice. Wow. No, I mean, you're talking all over the state. So you bounce to every corner of that state. Yeah, we've definitely gotten some searches all over, um, especially for those longer multi-day searches. Wow. Oh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Now, everything you do is on the ground, right? Uh, yes, yeah, so we don't have any helo operations. Gotcha. But that... We do have the vertical high angle rescue. So you're hiking in and you're taking all the gear. God, I kind of like my job. <laughs> I just fly in and then get hoisted down. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe we can work together. We'll get you guys a helicopter. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have that kind of pole, but I'll try. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, right. then I'll keep training with the heavy weight and tell you out a helicopter for us we'll keep, squats we'll that. crossfit <laughs> just keep on the crossfit yep definitely <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome all right so ask me um what was your very first rescue that you remember that, that kind of stands out to you well actually so, no, no no your very first one because i always love the very first one you're like wow that was kind of that was kind of crazy and awesome so my entry into rescue, my first rescue actually happened before I joined the team. That's why I joined rescue. Love it. Um, yeah. So when I was in college, I was a part of our local mountaineering club. I was really stoked on it, really started getting into climbing, really started loving the vertical outdoor world and had a lot of connections made and a lot of rock climbing trips during that day. And when I was about 19, I was out climbing with some friends at one of our local crags called White Rock. And it's really beautiful. It has these amazing basalt cracks. And my friend decided that they were going to lead this pretty challenging 5'11 finger crack. Wow. 
yeah. And I was still very new, very stoked. And so I definitely wasn't going to climb it, but I was stoked to belay them on it. And so they were trad climbing. So that means that they were placing their own gear as they go for fall protection. And this is, like I said, a pretty hard climb. And so they decided to do what we call a take where they just were going to rest. They had some gear right at their waist and just sitting back on the gear rest. Um, like, like on belay. So you've got mm-hmm. all the tension, feet are on the rock, shaking the hands out, uh, chalking up a little bit. <sighs> okay, yeah, I got this. Exactly. Doing the shake out, <laughs> yeah, trying yeah. to calm the Elvis leg but, down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So super normal, went to take and definitely was not expecting what happened next, which was that instead of taking in that slack and waiting for him, to just rest, I started watching every piece of gear pop out of the crack. Oh no. Mm-hmm. One after the other, just going down and that pop, pop, pop. And they were just falling through the air until they how, landed. Did, oh, hold on, hold on. How, mm-hmm. how, how high did we start up here? So he's going to rest at how high? He was at about 20 feet up. So, so you should have at least three three anchors in at that point. I can't remember exactly how many pieces, but he had quite a few. I think it was three to five pieces at least. Wow. Okay. It was 20 feet. pretty like, mm-hmm. it okay. was well protected. It was a hard enough climb. He was protecting it very well as he went. Oh, I got um, you. So like get a, up a little bit in clip mm-hmm. in clip or gear in. Are you using uh, cams or locks or bolts? Yeah. He was nuts? using small cams. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he was just at my feet. He hit the ground. Into a ball. Oh yeah. He went all the way. He, he, he fell 20 piece. feet to the ground. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Not a single piece held. Um, narrowly missed. Luckily some giant sharp boulders that were inches away from where he landed and just laying there in this moment of what just happened and like my brain trying to catch up to the fact that he is laying at my feet um and for a moment not even sure if he was like breathing um and that was that moment of for a second I didn't even know what to do this was I had never had an emergency situation in the wilderness certainly nothing that rivaled this and so I ran yelling and screaming up the boulder field to try to get to the other people we were climbing with to call them and get them to call 911 for help and assistance before running back to try to take care of him and figure out what to do next. And for me, this has been a really pivotal point in choosing to go into rescue and knowing that I didn't ever want to find myself in a position like that where I didn't know what to do next. And I didn't have the rescue skills and the first aid skills to get us out of the situation. Um, so ran back to him, waited with him. As did, the, hold on. I, I got yeah. back. I got to make sure I got this. After he hit the ground, how far? So I've been to a bunch of, I'm a climber as well. So I kind of, I know what you're talking about. How far is it from the beginning of that route to like phone service or wherever you got to get to? How, how is it? quick or is it a hike out? So luckily, since that was a 
local crag. It wasn't true backcountry. Okay. It, we didn't have a long hike out to get service. We were able to skirt to the top of the ridge line and call for help. How long did that take you? So my timeline for that part is a little fuzzy with everything that was happening. Yeah. I think that it took like 15 to 30 minutes for them to get, to get the call up um, and to start like all of that action going. Um, so your friend is laying at the bottom of a route that he just pulled out of and you got, and it's 30 minutes until you get responses to start coming. And I think that that was more when we started to see some action. I think that it was a quicker timeline to get on the phone with 911, but okay. you know, with these things, you always have to bounce between operators and get connected with the right people and getting rescued is never a slow process. I, I am, I'm really just, I'm thinking of your guy right now, you know, laying there on a ball. He just fell 20 feet. He's in some mad pain right now. If he, was he awake yes. after the fall? Oh gosh, mm -hmm. that's no fun. So now he's sitting there waiting 30 minutes before anybody rolls up and let's call it, let's say 15 minute hike just for round numbers. So mm -hmm. you still have another 15 minute hike down to get to him. It was a very long day. There was nothing that was speedy about <laughs> the rescue that happened that day. So oh my gosh. we were out there for hours. So when the team came for him, even as a patient at that time, I could tell that there were so many mistakes being made throughout the rescue. So it was a really long time for them to get down to us once they arrived at the top of the cliff. Um, that day I held C-spine for, I think about four hours. I wow. had the rocks that were imprinted in my knee for like days because I wouldn't let anybody else hold a C-spine because I was like my climbing partner on the ground. Um, so it was a brutal amount of time to sit there as they were trying to figure out how to get him out. Wow. Paint the picture a little bit more about your surroundings, just for my own knowledge. Like you've got the cliff face right there. Woods on the back, is it open? Is it is there another face or is it a slope down behind you? Like what, what are you guys sitting on top of? Yeah, so we're at the base of this rocky cliff. Um, and at the top of that is, it's desert. Um, just kind of a rocky landscape that's a 10 minute walk maybe to the parking lot with all the cars. So as far as places to get rescued, a reasonably accessible area, I would say. Okay. I assume they came in backboard, litter, or skeg, skeg code. Yeah. So they came in, they had a litter. There were a lot of things that they forgot. It took a lot of time to get him some medication and then they finally got him into the litter and on the litter hall, first they rammed him into a cactus, which was <laughs> very painful. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. Uh, yeah, it was. What? Yeah. Come on, rescue team. What's up? How are you going to run your patient into a cactus? I mean, come well, on. And that, um, you, you can excuse, you know some accidents here, the lengthy time, the cactus, but the part that really has stuck in my mind as a rescuer now forever was this patient just fell 20 feet, severe spinal precautions, which were yeah. later substantiated by the hospital letting us know that he had a broken spine. Oof. And the rescuer put him in a litter 
and then sat not just on the litter, but put weight on him. What do you mean? Like, like he sat on top of. He sat on top the of the guy? Yes. As he was like going up and down on the litter. At one point, he was like sitting on him and putting weight on him as a rescuer. I can't even put that into my head. Like, so he, like, is the litter on the ground and he's sitting on him or? No, it was during vertical operations. It was in a horizontal orientation. Okay. And so he was going up to get to something above him. And so sometimes, you know, you can kind of orient yourself above the patient on the litter and sometimes, you know, wiggle your way up there to make it happen and reach up. Yeah. But he didn't just move himself above the litter. He actually like put weight on the litter. And oh, the patient man. Yes. So this has really set the tone for me entering into rescue and really wanting to be somebody who is always prioritizing patient care and nice. making sure that, you know, when we enter the field, we're dialed on our skills because when we're not people, we make people's bad day even worse. Yeah. And it's something well, I don't want to do. <laughs> I, I think about it all the time when you like that and everybody has seen it. So the, the spin video from um, Arizona, mm-hmm. you know, how the lady, mm-hmm. she had a twisted ankle and the rescues made that, that day a bad day. <laughs> A worse day. <laughs> that looks like a very yeah. bad day. That was not a fun day for her. So no. Um, now your your friend it, did everything. Are it was everything work out? Like yeah, he he was okay. Healed from that okay. Um, so I consider God. that overall to be a pretty lucky day. <laughs> wow. After what a what a way to get into it though. Like bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. It was. It was one way to start a rescue career. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, so you have, have taken that to like the next level and, and this, you just, it, so it, it pulled you in being part of that, yes. the whole rescue. Oh, I love it. I love it. What, uh, what medical side, what do you have for medical training right now? So I have a wilderness first responder. Freaking fantastic. That's amazing. Good. Keep going. Like, <laughs> yeah go, go get your emt basic go get your paramedic you know mm-hmm. all that stuff is that's great stuff it's a hey, i started as basic and and then moved my way up so good for you my gosh dang what a, yeah, it's definitely made me a lot more comfortable having some basic medical as a rescuer and recreating in the backcountry definitely right? very <laughs> grateful for the wilderness first responder <laughs> <laughs> Well, now I, I suppose you could let somebody else hold a C-spine a little more often and trade off. I mean. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some trading off. <laughs> be, you know, a little more comfortable. <laughs> Jeez, oh man. That's crazy. Is your buddy, are you and your buddy still climbing? Yeah, some. Yes. Oh, I'm glad to get back on the rock. Good for him. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Good. So, all right, from there, now that you've got all this training and stuff, um, you went through, yeah, give me a little rundown about how that works. Cause I'm, I'm not totally up to speed with all that. So how do you volunteer to get into what you're doing right now? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So for every volunteer team, it's a little bit different for our team. We have once a year applications and we take a class of usually 12 to 15 people and we have a pretty intensive 
three-month course. We call it our operational core curriculum. And during that, we just build those skills from the ground up, whether that's search skills, nav skills, or all of the technical skills that we do. And it culminates in a big test out weekend where we ask our volunteers to demonstrate our checkout list skills. And we do like a mock mission and make sure that everybody is feeling dialed and ready to start doing this for real. Wow. Now, all right. So give you coming some of your skills, you're talking high angle stuff, um, just searches, search patterns. Like what are you guys doing? Yeah. So our, our skills, we do foundations of search theory, those searching skills. And we spend a lot of time on our technical skills since those are, you know, so perishable and so like what? Um, new. So we do, you know, from the ground up, we do building anchors, building our technical system, propelling, ascending, uh, low angle litter operations. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Do you guys use uh, like the three to ones and all the pulley systems and Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do have mechanical advantage as well. Oh, that's awesome! Good for you guys, man. That's that's great. I I don't I don't do enough of that. I really don't. I, I wish I could say I did more, but I've got a helicopter, so I, don't... <laughs> I mean that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I got a I got a winch, a hoist, whatever. <laughs> that helps a lot. <laughs> right? I'm just saying. I don't know. <laughs> Come in with the big guns. Oh, that's funny. Good for you guys, man. That that's awesome. how often do you guys train? So we have regular trainings. We have two a month, um, at least two a month. And then during the time that we have OCC, we have a lot more than that. And we really use that as kind of our refresh of skills for the whole team and make sure that everybody has those basics down. Sweet. What is OCC? Uh, Their operational core curriculum class, just that training class. Sweet. Wow. Man, good for you guys. That's awesome. So now that you, how, how long did you say you've been doing this? Uh, seven years. Man, that's a long time. Good job. <laughs> so in your seven years, I imagine you've got a couple more rescues. A few. <laughs> yeah. Now I know yeah. one of them in particular because you did send me the article, but you, what do you, before I get into that one, is there any other ones that you can think of that? Yeah, so... I can chat some about actually one of my hardest missions um, for me personally. And this is just for me a reminder that one of the really difficult things about doing rescue out of your back door, like we do here, is that it can get really hard and really personal. Um, We're a very small outdoor community here in Albuquerque and New Mexico. And sometimes when we get the page out, it's for people that we actually know. Oh, it's yeah. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. God, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. You go out for everybody. Like if you're out there, you guys are volunteering for each other. So it's, I actually just talked to a friend of mine that had a similar thing with, with that, but you know, the people that are out in the woods because they're all your friends. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so this mission was for a recovery for a fellow climber in, in my community here in Albuquerque. And it actually didn't start out as a formal page out. This one started out as a phone call from a friend. And it's one of those phone calls that you're never expecting when you answer that phone call, right? You're expecting to chat or see how they're doing or if they need something. You're certainly not expecting to hear that something really awful and tragic happened. Yeah. 
So I, I got that call and, um, you know, it's that space of kind of immediately switching from friend into the rescuer mindset of, all right, we start going through the checklist. Are you safe? Are you off the cliff? Going through those questions and then being like, I have to hang up now. I have to go call people and get this rescue going. Like I have to make sure people know. Um, and so that started everything off in a very, I would say heartbreaking way. So you, you took the lead on this then. So I got the initial call. And so our team is structured that we have what we call rescue leaders who have, um, all of the specializations and are kind of the operational leaders of our team. So once I got that call, I started calling our, calling our rescue leaders and letting them know and making sure that we were getting everything in place to move forward. Okay. I'm going to dig a little deeper. So the call that you got, I understand it's a tragedy, but did they tell you what happened or how, how did that come across? They told me that they were climbing and that their friend had died. And that was it. That was like, just uh, like you get a phone and they're dead. Like, that's, that's rough. Yeah, that was the start to it. And then just kind of giving me the, you know, brief rundown that he fell off a cliff and that they checked and he wasn't alive. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So when you guys got all your team together, you're going down for a full recovery. How long did the recovery take? So it was a big mission. It was high angle off of this cliff face. Um, a big operation, a lot of technical gear, a lot of people going in. Um, but the really difficult thing was we walked in that day that it happened and we ended up being shut down because of weather. We couldn't finish that day because we had massive thunderstorms rolling in. Um, so we were out there sheltering in place, trying to figure out what to do when I see called us and they were like, you have to come in. There's too much weather. We can't finish this today. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Which was especially brutal. I don't think that any of us on that rescue slept that night knowing that he was still on the mountain and we hadn't finished our job. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we got up the next day in order to finish it. Um, at that point, called in resources from all over the state for the trail carry out after the high angle operation. So we had a lot of community from all around the state and, you know, that rescue community showing up to help make it happen. Wow. Mm -hmm. So basically took two days to get them out because of weather. And how, how many people do you guys run on a team? So our team usually sits around 50 people. Five, zero, 50? Mm-hmm. that's a lot of manpower holy cow that's amazing yeah and it's volunteers so we don't all have you know everybody showing up to every oh. mission okay right. right so so on average how many show up to a call like this call in particular how many people did you guys have show up i think we had a high turnout i think we had between 15 and 20 people at least wow um this one definitely is one of those where if you could show up everybody on the team did Wow. They were able to. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty awesome that you have such a tight community that would show up to help brothers and sisters in need go out. Yeah. Oh, and it's, it's 
really just hammers in that idea that rescue is not an individual endeavor. Yeah. It's a community. And this is how we do what we do is by doing it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't agree with you more. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. That's definitely not fun. Yeah, it was a really hard one. I definitely learned a lot about psychological first aid after that. I mean, this certainly was not the first traumatic mission that I've been on, but it was definitely the hardest one. And, you know, just watching those like stress injury behaviors come up afterwards, a few days after the mission, I had a very vivid dream in which I had a serial killer in my house and I murdered him like with great detail. I had to murder the serial killer. In your dream, in your dream, in my dream, let's let's emphasize (laughs) that in my dream. dream. (laughs) Yes. So I don't know where that came from, but you know, really weird dreams or those like irrational bursts of anger. I don't know why I feel so angry right now, but I'm so angry. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And just being like, this is why it's really important to be on the lookout for these behaviors in ourselves because they really can manifest after these hard missions and rescues and why it's important to be able to talk about those openly. Yeah. Do you guys have a community like that where you can make a phone call? We, um, so Coast Guard wise, it's my background is, you know, we would have the SISM team, the critical incident stress management team that you could call up and their peers and their friends. And, and then there are other people that you don't know about that you can just make a phone call. Is there something like that in your world that you could do that? There is. So New Mexico has, yeah, a really great system. They have a line where you can call up and talk anonymously. And then they also have resources so that they can come out and do those critical incident stress debriefs after the fact. And so for all of our big missions like that and recoveries, we definitely try to facilitate that on the team just to make sure there's that space in case anybody does need it. Wow. That that's awesome as well. Hey, man, you guys, you guys have this on point. This is awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I'm sorry for your loss. It's definitely when you lose a friend in any capacity, you know, and having to go get them, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, to have all the resources in place, even after like going, go get them and have everything yeah, for no, you guys. It's really important. These things and um, rescue are really hard and heavy and, if you don't have those systems in place, I think that there's a lot of capacity for those to add up over time and really affect you on a very deep level in a whole yeah. other way. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. Totally. Well, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to actually kind of move forward a little bit because I have, like you sent me an article and uh, I would like to say that I actually did all this, you know, I looked you up and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that's terrible. But um, it's pretty cool because this article that you sent me is, it's, uh, it's awesome. So this is uh, written in the Rio Grande Sun. Uh, and it was dated, in, let's see, October 11th, 2018. The title of it is Local Volunteers Execute a 17-Hour Mountain Rescue. 17 hour mountain rescue. That is, that is legit. That is a lot of time spent on a mountain. And the opening statement just kind of says this all. So I'm really excited about hearing how this turned out, but paramedics rushed a married couple to a hospital just past midnight Monday after each sustained a serious injuries when a tree fell on them in their tent 
near Trampas Lake. What? That's that's crazy. So give me a go ahead. How how did this come about? Yeah, so this one, this one was definitely one of those epic rescue stories that just like how how did this happen? Um so this was up in northern New Mexico. And when we got the page out for this one, it came out late. It was about 4.30 in the evening, um, right? When, you know, getting ready to start thinking about dinner and winding down for the day. And you hear that page out ring and you're always like, oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> um, and so in order to get there, it's about a three hour drive. It's definitely one of those drives where when you know something's really long, it feels like torture knowing that you're sitting comfortably in your car and somebody's out there in the back country waiting for you. But for this one, there was a family. There's a mom and a dad that were out camping with their three kids, planning on just doing a nice, easy backpacking trip. They weren't local. I think they were from Texas. Correct. And As per the article. Okay, well perfect. done. Look at yeah. you paying attention. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> And what should have been a really beautiful camping weekend next to this beautiful alpine lake ended with almost a very tragic ending um, when the mom and dad were they set up their tents going to bed. The three kids were in a separate tent and I'm sure they didn't even notice that they were camping underneath a dead tree. It's not something that I ever noticed before this mission, although I looked for trees above me when camping now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, a terrible storm blew in that night with just like gusting winds and it blew a 70 foot tree on top of their tent. Oh God. Uh-huh. It landed on both of them, just like straight across the midsection, crushing them underneath this giant tree. Oh, yes. okay. Uh-huh. And when that happened, the, you know, cries of agony woke up their kids in the neighboring tents and the kids were able to run to another camper and let them know what was happening. And they were able to hike out and call for help. And the, the list of injuries that they ended up having included two broken pelvises, ruptured bladder, broken ribs, a lot of internal bleeding, very, very severe injuries to have oh my about gosh. six miles into the back country. Wow. Mm-hmm. So when we rolled, yep. go ahead. Well, I was going to ask how big is your team going in on this one? Cause now, I mean, you got two patients severely injured. You've got a little bit of a report what's going on. How big's your team rolling in? So we ended up, by the time we got there, the parking lot was full. We had to park down the road from the trailhead because there were a lot of teams who came in from all over the state. Um, volunteer fire had started the mission for a part of the day before they realized they needed more assistance. And so by the time we got there, we had a lot of people on scene ready to help. So 17 hours. So we're talking start to finish 17 hours. You got to hike in. You said six miles in. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't even know how 
fast you can what's the average walk time like two miles an hour and that so on the way in if you're moving i would say closer to three miles three? an hour okay somewhere like in that it. range all um, right so let's call it two hours to get on scene give or take yeah that seems reasonable um i'm not sure exactly how long it took the hasty team but probably somewhere in that area you know what? We're going to call everybody. All you guys are freaking badasses. So you guys did it in like an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> but still, you're, you're hiking in with litters, medical gear, all the equipment that you need to get these guys out. I mean, it's not like you're going in just with a small little backpack on. You're going in with some gear. Like, yeah, I get definitely. That. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely when you form that hasty team and you put your fastest people on there and we, we have some very fast people on our team and they made very good time getting wow. up to these people. Mm-hmm. So I, um, did you, were you there on scene with the tree still on them? With, so I assume they were trapped underneath the tree. Yeah, so I, by the time that I got there on my team, they had both patients walking them down and Adelia, which is our sister MRA team, they did an amazing job and they were um, getting them down the mountain. And luckily Adelia came up originally, the team who went in first, the volunteer fire team only had one litter. And so they were having one of the individuals walk out um, and did not realize the extent of the injuries and that they had a broken pelvis. So Adelia did an amazing job of getting both patients in the litter and getting them down. You know, we had a lot of gear. We had oxygen, medicine, a whole lot of things for these people because they were in really rough shape. Wow. So the second litter went up to litter the second people, the second patient, mm-hmm. and bring him, her out, whoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy cow. That's crazy. God, 17 yeah. hours. Mm-hmm. And it was, definitely very wet it was drizzling when we were going in it was of course it was why dark. wouldn't it be yes <laughs> it is rescue after all yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it never happens on a nice clear blue 22 day i mean it's always no. the weather comes in and <laughs> mm-hmm. now all right so now uh when they get to the hospital like you said broken pelvises broken ribs internal bleeding busted up or um blown up bladder like did they uh, did they survive did they walk away everything okay yes so they they survived um it sounded like they had pretty extensive medical intervention but they they were okay so it was wow. yeah a very impressive effort from all of the SAR agencies to make that one happen Man. yeah great job Great job on everybody for that outcome. That's amazing. Now, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's going to ask this. What about the kids? Like, what did you guys do with the kids? So I did not see the kids. The kids, I think, were maybe picked up or the other hiker who had taken them out was with them. I'm not nice. sure exactly. Okay. Um, so as long but... as the kids were taken care of. <laughs> yes, they were taken care of somewhere. Mom and dad's rolling to the hospital. Kids, stay right here. They, just don't move. They'll be back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I wouldn't do that unless they were my own. Just kidding, girls. Just kidding. <laughs> my daughter's there anyway. 
So nice. Wow, man, that's incredible. That is what a great story, man. Thank you so much for sharing those. That is yeah, great. absolutely. And you guys, uh, from what I understand, you actually earned yourself, like everybody involved in that earned themselves like an award uh, from something in the state or a company had, had issued. Yeah. So the Mound Rescue Association, the MRA, which is our accrediting body, awarded our team, Albuquerque Mound Rescue and Adelaya, the team based up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, the life-saving award at this year's conference. Wow. <laughs> well done. Well done. I, wow. Awesome job. Yeah. Because you guys, two people are still alive they, today. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Those, those hard missions definitely make it, make it worth it and make showing up at work the next day worth it. Even when you have to take really bad photo IDs that you'll have to use <laughs> for years with no sleep. My worst photo idea ID I've ever taken, but it's fine. <laughs> Still worth it. You know, when you're there, you just say, look, it. you don't even understand. Okay. <laughs> it was amazing. That's all you need to know. There's a story. There's a reason why I look this terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's fantastic. I, thank you so much for sharing that story. That, that's, that's awesome. I love it. Um, I do want to touch on a little bit of your women in rescue because this whole thing is it, this is pretty cool. Uh, so you and Cassie have, have started this Instagram, Facebook, um, and, and just kind of expand on a little bit more. Like, what are you trying to do? What, what is it that you've brought to the table? Yeah. So one of the things that we realized that we really don't see very often in this space is other women. And it took us a little while to realize how little representation there is. But when we really started looking, it was kind of shocking how few images of women doing rescue there were, even, you know, for these gear companies or for these training classes, we just weren't seeing women anywhere. Yeah. And that was kind of a hard realization since we both have kind of made volunteer rescue our lives. We spend a ton of time and we're so passionate about it. And we were looking around wondering where where that representation piece was. And we decided we wanted to help create that and encourage other women to enter into rescue and, and stay in it. Love it. That's good for you guys. Um, for my own personal, you know, what I've seen in, in the world of rescue is I I'm with you. I, there are not too many women that are out there that do the rescue side of things. Um, there are, like, I think I can count on one hand how many actual Coast Guard rescue swimmers there are that are women. Uh, you know, you've got Sarah Faulkner, you've got Jody Larson, you've got Karen Voorhees, you've got, you know, but, the, you know, out of that, uh, there's not that many. Mm -hmm. I went up to Montana and I was working with the some of the volunteers up there. And again, there was only three or four women total in the volunteer and we were dealing with 50 people easily. So... I, I totally get mad respect. That's, that's awesome. Cause mother nature does not care like black, white, man, woman. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't care. You show up, you do your job, you come home and you got to be able to do your job. So. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many diverse skill sets that everybody brings that makes, 
you know, a team and an organization stronger when we have that diversity, both in terms of gender. And like you said, people of different races and ethnicities, he was so overwhelmingly white. And, you know, that's something that we're really hoping that we can all change as an industry and work on getting more people. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, come on our side. We're just going out to help a brother in need. Come on. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. It's really, so. Yeah. We, we really feel like rescue has given us so much, so many skills and experiences, and we just want other people to be able to have those. Yeah. Now, how do you guys get found? Like what, uh, I mean, I know how I found you. I found you guys through Instagram, but is there anything else that you guys have right now? That, that, a way to find you, get in touch with you guys, if they got questions, other ladies that want to get into rescue, how do they reach out to you guys? Yeah. So our Instagram page is a great place to find us. We're at women in rescue and we have a Facebook page as well. And then for any other women who are in rescue, we have a private Facebook group. And so those are great places. You can just send us a message on social media. We also have an email women in rescue at gmail.com. So we would love to connect and hear women in rescue stories and experiences and just, yeah, help continue to create this community. Heck yeah, man. That's <laughs> awesome. I've seen some of your pictures that you post on Facebook or on Instagram. I, I love them. And I, I think they're actually from not just in New Mexico either. You guys get pictures from all over the world. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's pretty awesome. So it's been the coolest part of this is just getting to connect with these super rad women who have oh. all these amazing stories and just being able to make those relationships has been so cool. I, I can't agree with you more. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Like, you know, I had my interview with Kim Gramishu, which that's not how you pronounce her last name. I know, <laughs> but I'm never going to change it. But Kim is amazing. And I, her and I chat all the time and I just, I love hearing her stories and where she's going with what she's doing. And it's, it's fantastic. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's really awesome to. Yeah. help highlight and elevate some of these different voices. Yeah. Yeah. I totally mm-hmm. love it. Um, so I got, I got one more question and then I, like I said, I, I'm taking a ton of your time, so I won't take too much, but for advice, like anything you would pass on to any of the other women out there that are looking to get into this, you know, how to get started, what advice would you pass on to everybody that's listening? Uh, I would say that a big part of it for me has been developing this community and finding those relationships and rescue and that whether it's mentorship or friendship through all these different individuals has really changed my entire life and made my rescue experience so much more rich and just amazing. So I would say really like search for those relationships and connections as you're entering into it. Yeah. Next thing you know, mm-hmm. you'll be on the rock with Aspen doing a little trad climbing. Yeah. Come on. You know, I'm <laughs> calling you when one. I come to New Mexico, right? I'm like, let's go. Come on. Get me on the rock. I'm ready for it. Let's do <laughs> it. <laughs> I love it. Aspen, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. Uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. You're, you're wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. 
please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.